Welcome to Spark of Joy, a podcast for curious minds and soul searchers. My name's Lauren and I am your host. Today I am going to be talking to you about the Wheel of the Year, a series of festivals and celebrations that take place throughout our annual calendar. For me, this is a practice that has grown over the last few years. And today I would like to go through a little bit of the history and hopefully inspire you with ways to bring these celebrations into your life, sprinkling joy throughout the year. I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome to the sixth episode of Spark of Joy. I am so, so happy that you are here. Today I'm not joined by a guest, instead I am indulging a little in my inner history geek (laughs) and bringing you an episode about my findings, my practice and how I interweave the Wheel of the Year celebrations into my seasonal cycles. So, If you listen to this podcast, you probably have an inquisitive mind, one that constantly looks for ways of belonging, ways of being, ways of understanding. And my friend, I am totally with you. (laughs) I, I guess the wheel of the year is something I have been bringing into my life consistently for the past three years and on and off with certain festivals probably for the last 10 years. So it's something that has been an ever-evolving practice, something that I maybe knew about but didn't quite know the depths, uh, the history. So it's something that I'm really passionate about sharing On my Instagram, I post on any of the days of the Wheel of the Year, I post a little poem, just a few lines of prose. And we have just passed one of my particular favourites, Mabon, which is the autumnal equinox. And that was really what inspired this podcast episode, was finding that connection to one of my favourite times of the year and the celebrations that I particularly have. So I wanted to go through some of these uh, dates, some of these practices, so that you can begin to interweave some into your life. Some of them you will be very familiar with, others maybe not so much. So hopefully, if you want to, you can grab yourself a notebook and pen and maybe take some notes. Finding what sits with you, what feels right, what feels like a good time to celebrate and letting that date become a real point in your calendar year. A date that has nothing to do with you or anybody else's birthdays or anniversaries. It can be a date that you make what you wish to be. And I think that's really lovely. So firstly, the wheel of the year is a bit of a hodgepodge (laughs) of different ancient celebrations. And it's kind of an amalgamation of Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Druid and Gaelic cultures 
and over the last sort of 150 to 200 years, it's become a formulated linear annual cycle. And I guess realistically, the most recent namings of some of the dates actually are as recent as the 1970s. And some of the older ones date back to late Iron Age or late Bronze Age. And it's through this time, it's through this evolution of human understanding of the cycles of the year that I find holds the biggest amount of power with a celebration like this. So where it is kind of an amalgamation, a lot of the origins of these dates is highly speculated, shall we say. <laughs> a lot of people find items and tokens um, on archaeological sites that could have been relative to summer solstice or winter solstice, perhaps autumn equinox. But of course, when we find these things, it is all just speculation of what ancient people used to do and how they used to celebrate. What we do know is that the four main solar points of the year have always been important across a number of cultures from, as I said, the Saxons, the Celtics, the Druids and the Gaelic people. We also know that Roman people had a lot of these uh, solar festivals, a lot of these real highlights of the year with celebration. We also know, of course, that people of the Hindu faith have festivals of colour and light and they happen to align very nicely with our spring and autumn equinox. And it's really lovely to see a number of cultures that come together through these pillars of the year. So a lot of the time when we are talking about the wheel of the year, we think mostly about the four main solar events. And that is when something significant is happening with the sun and how we see it here on Earth. The first of these is always Yule and Yule is midwinter and the winter solstice. This is always the night that is the longest of the year. So the daylight to nightlight ratio is much stronger in the nightlight. We have the shortest day and we have the longest night. This was always celebrated as from that day onwards, we were moving closer to the light. The days were only going to get longer. It was seen as a return, as a turning point of being able to lean into that lightness, growing, beginning to sow some seeds for the year ahead. It was also the time when people would bring in foliage and bring in greenery, often, of course, evergreen. So things like pine, and you, things that stayed green throughout the entire year would be brought into the home to decorate it. And this is where we get the term Yule from, because we have the Yule log, which was seen as this ginormous log that lit the hearth of the home for the entirety of the Yule period, which usually runs from the 21st to the 23rd of December in the Northern Hemisphere and the 20th to the 23rd of June in the Southern Hemisphere. 
So <clears throat> this, of course, Yule, is what became Christmas effectively. And I find it really interesting that Yule is just before Christmas. So the celebration, of course, was mixed with the birth of Christ in the Christian faith. And that became the 24th, 25th, 26th of December, which of course is our Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. Boxing Day, of course, being the last of those to be added to the week-long celebrations by the Victorians who invited present and gift giving into the celebration. Before then, giving gifts was not a standard practice. Of course, that has just grown and grown and grown to today, where we have a very big, booming commercial side of this period of time as well. So, for me, Yule is a beautiful time of year for inner reflection and connecting to the people that you love the most. Probably pretty understandable there. <laughs> but inviting people in for a big meal, people that you love and wish to share time with. This is a really tremendous time of the year to do that because the days are so short. We cannot get the same amount of nutrients from the sun's rays because certainly in the UK, <laughs> the weather's a bit pants. <laughs> so we have to get our energy from other people. Really having that time with others to celebrate, break bread and feast together. I think those are the best practices. And of course, gift giving is a really beautiful practice to have alongside this as well. But of course, make it a really heartfelt personal gift. I think that's a really lovely sign that you are truly thinking of the person. When it comes to this time of year, I tend to, about a month before, write a list of people who have really meant a lot to me and think about gifts that I can give them. Some, it might be a little poem that I've written for them in thanks for their support throughout the year, their friendship, their love, their kindness. Others, I may buy something and others, I may make something. So this is really your time to get creative in how you show people your love and adoration for them. This is also a really lovely time for introspection. And of course, it really does kind of hurdle the end of one year and the beginning of another. So it is a good time to reflect on the year that has been and the year that is coming. A lot of people, of course, set New Year's resolutions, but I'm much more a person for past year intentions. So thinking about the past year that has been and the one that is coming changes I'd like to make and I usually do this in journaling form. A lot of the time I get a page of my journal and I divide it into four and I have that as four different sections, main sections of my life and this will be my personal life, my life with my friends, my life with my family and my life with my work and I will think about all of the ways I have been incredibly pleased with the year in terms of that particular pocket of my life. And then things that I'd like to either add or take away. 
This is an incredibly simple practice and is really good in terms of ritual. It's good to revisit the previous years while also doing the present years and just finding within you that balance that you wish to cultivate in the coming year. So Yule, of course, is one of the oldest that we know of in terms of archaeological evidence and tradition. And it, of course, is the beginning of the wheel of the year. We then have imbolc, sometimes called imbolic. I've seen it pronounced a number of ways. And this is the beginning of February. This is usually the 1st of February. And it is the midpoint between the longest night and the halfway point towards the spring. So we have Yule, then imbolic, and then spring. So it's very much a, a hurdle point. It is a point to get to, to begin to see those first signs of spring. Now, traditionally in the UK, many people did not clean their clothing, their bedding, certainly in sort of more um, ancient times, medieval times, people were usually sewn into their clothing for the winter months. So a lot of the time, by the time 1st of February came around and the weather was a little drier, it was the time for the mass house clothing, bedding, cleaning. So even today, in bulk is seen as a time to cleanse, to clear, to clean. So this is where we often get the modern term of spring cleaning. And it's a time to go through all of the things that you own. A lot of people take this as a time to go through their wardrobe, perhaps donating clothes that they don't need anymore, while maybe adding a new few new items to that wardrobe that they perhaps need. This is also a time to mend things. So if clothing had become torn or ripped, it could be repaired, ready for the next winter. So it was really a time to look at the home, the hearth, cleaning the fire. It would have been very busy up until this point, cleaning the chimney, cleaning the hearth, cleaning the kitchen, changing the beds. A lot of the time in medieval times, the beds were stuffed with hay or straw. So this was a time for the mattresses to be taken apart and restuffed. So they were much fluffier, much lighter and much, much more comfortable. <laughs> so Imbolic is also really tied with the Celtic goddess Brigid and she is a goddess of fertility and she's incredibly important during this time because of course we are turning that wheel towards a really abundant time. A lot of the time in bulk was seen as a time of fertility for lambs, for, for cows, for any type of farming animal that was to produce children, lambs, calves. And it was seen as an incredible opportunity to start bringing to fruition what it was that you needed for that year. Of course, when we're talking in ancient times, a lot of the time it was farming that we were looking at. But of course, now that can mean something far more internal, introspective and individual. 
So we often see a lot of Bridget's inspiration in this festival and in this holiday. She is incredibly tied to Celtic mythology. So Imbolc is very much part of the Celtic tradition. And this is where we start to see that amalgamation of Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Druid, Gaelic, even Roman, Catholic and you know, other festivals, like I said at the beginning, you know, we have these festivals of Holi Festival in Hinduism, which is all about colour. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we come to our next festival. So planting was another big part of Imbolic, getting seeds ready to be planted, making sure that the ground was fertile enough, making sure that the soil had enough nutrients. Any groundwork that needed to be laid was to be done now so that the rest of the year could flow really smoothly. In terms of what you can do with Imbolc as a festival today, Again, that clearing, cleaning, cleansing, you know, maybe walk around your home and make it smell beautiful. Maybe take that time to redecorate, refresh, revitalise an area of your home that might need an injection of joy. Of course, whatever it is you wish to do with this time is perfect, but it is an amazing festival, an amazing celebration to lay the groundwork of what it is you wish to bring to the coming year. We then move to Ostara, which is possibly my favourite festival of the year. And this actually comes from German mythology and tradition. And it is, uh, I always struggle to see the similarities, to be honest. But the there is a German goddess called Iostre and Ostara comes from her name. She was the goddess of fertility and springtime and lambs and abundance. So it perfectly ties in, of course, with this time of year and really looking to the bluebells, the daffodils, the snowdrops, all of these flowers just emerging from the earth, bringing a sense of mass colour. And this is where the Hindu festival of Holi comes into play as well. Given that it is worlds apart from ancient Germany, they still have this festival today. And it is the festival of paint throwing. You've probably seen pictures on Instagram. <laughs> but it is a festival where you throw paint at one another. Paint of all colours to signify the lightening of days, the warming of the sun, the return of colour into life. And I've been lucky enough to experience this festival firsthand in India. And I have to say, it's one of the best experiences of my life. <laughs> and it really signifies the spring equinox, the coming of light and life and colour and abundance back into the world. In India, you actually have to often pay people money to not throw paint at you. <laughs> so it's inevitable to be covered in paint by the rest of the day. Luckily, it only takes a couple of washes to get it properly out of your hair and off of your skin. <laughs> but I was definitely a few pennies down by the end of the day because I was so covered 
in paint. Um, it definitely did take me a little while. <laughs> But of course, Ostara signifies the spring equinox. It's usually around the 21st of March or the 21st of September in the Southern Hemisphere. And we start to see more daylight and more sunlight in the days. We start to feel a little bit of warmth and we feel this sense of balance, harmony and new life emerging. So the spring equinox is one of those points where the daylight and the nightlight are of equal length, similar to the autumn equinox. And in fact, they're the only two points in the year when that happens. I always find this really reaffirming and refreshing because I think a lot of the time as human beings, we are looking for this perfect balance of work and life balance, of health and indulgence, of day and night, of light and dark, of shadow and brightness. And I think a lot of the time this perfect balance doesn't really exist. We always feel something, whether it be internal or external, there's always going to be something that brings us out of balance before we can come back into the balance. So I find it really humbling that during the year that only 2% of the time is their perfect balance. The other 98% we are living in a state of flux. And I think that's a really lovely message to carry that we can't be these perfectly balanced human beings and even when it is happening in nature that doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen within us as well. We can enjoy the imbalance and the state of flux that we live in. So of course this is Easter time in the Christian calendar and again it's seen as this time of of life, of rebirth. Of course this was the time where Jesus was resurrected so it was seen as this wonderful time of birth, rebirth, of coming again and I think Whatever your religious background, whether you have one or not, I think it's still a wonderful time to celebrate that because it's everywhere you look, everywhere in nature, you see this resurgence of life and colour. And it's so wonderful to be able to step into that. In terms of celebrations you can do for yourself, I like to try and spend the entire day of Ostara outside soaking up the colours, the life, the small leaves on the trees, the sap that comes from the birch trees. And I have before, have once or twice before actually tapped birch sap on this day. So if you know the birch tree, it's got that beautiful white bark with almost like the grey strips that run horizontal across it. And tapping birch sap is a really ancient tradition in countries like Sweden and Norway. And birch sap is one of the first things in nature to naturally bring vitamin D. So in countries where, like further north or much, much further south, where the daylight takes longer to stretch itself out, you want that vitamin D to be able to enter into your system so that you can get that boost of energy. 
So tapping birch sap is a really, really good tradition to have on this day, as well as being in nature, taking time to unplug and disconnect from any devices that you have, maybe spend the day with someone, but I think it's a nice day to actually spend on your own. I think it's a really lovely day to explore a new place in nature, maybe a new walk, a new location, and see the birds, see the sky overhead, and almost take the entire day to do an open-eyed, mindful meditation. You can, of course, bring things into your home to celebrate Ostara, much like Yule, you can bring in bits and pieces like birch leaves. Of course, we talked about tapping the birch sap, so that can be a really nice um, significant part of that ritual. And you can bring in blossoms and maybe create a bit of an altar. Uh, that's what I tend to do anyway. But of course, anything to do with nature around Ostara is a really beautiful day. If you have children, I often think that Ostara would be a really good day to visit a farm, perhaps feed some lambs, <laughs> something I did as a child. I actually remember visiting the farm that... Uh, was re really close to uh, my family caravan. Uh, we used to have a caravan up in North Norfolk near um, Cromer and there was a farm just a short drive away and we made friends with the family that lived there and we went there. It was spring, it was near my birthday so it's a really really wonderful time to go there. I think it was over the Easter holidays and there was lambing and calving and we went up to the farm and Wendy, the farmer's wife, was struggling to get this particular calf out of the birth canal and she said, oh, oh, Lauren, bear in mind, she had three children of her own that could have done this. Um, I can only assume they'd done it before and were <laughs> like, no, mum, don't make us do that again. She called me over and she said, Lauren, I need your help. You have small arms. I need you to put these gloves on and I need you to put your arms up this cow and grab the calf <laughs> and I will hold you and I will help pull. So... I reached in and I grabbed the calves hind quarters and I began to pull and Wendy hugging me round my waist pulled me and this cow came out and fell onto me goo and all <laughs> and uh, yeah that's a memory I'll never forget. I spent the whole next day uh, bottle fe feeding lambs which was a much much cleaner day let's say. <laughs> But it was definitely an experience I'll hold with me for my entire life. So I think if you have children, Ostara, all the time around that day is a really good opportunity to go and see animals and, and be with them. Of course, if you have them, that makes it all the easier. So I could talk about Ostara all day, but we move to Beltane and this is another midpoint date. So much like Imbolic was the midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, Beltane is the midpoint between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. And Beltane actually comes from the Roman celebration of Flora and has now turned into the celebration of May Day. And this is a celebration that was really signifying the start of summer. So the real heat of the the days, the real warmth from the sun was really began to feel it at this day. And this was when, of course, you began to see the crops beginning to grow. Life became that little bit easier. So you weren't having to certainly, you know, if we're talking about Roman times, you weren't having to heat 
your home through the hearth as fiercely. You were able to spend much more time outside. Your days were so much longer. If you needed to do anything, you could do so sat out in the sun and everything was just made that little bit easier. So it was a celebration of all of that. Nowadays, certainly if you go down to counties in the UK like Devon and Cornwall, you'll see a lot of May Day celebrations with Morris dancing and Maypole dancing. And this is something that dates back centuries, something really popular and really, really abundant. And it is just that celebration, the community coming together, dancing, playing music and celebrating the coming of the warmth, the easing of life. Everyone always felt that boost because, of course, the vitamin D that comes from the sun is soaked up by your skin and you feel that bit happier. And I know certainly as we move through time, (laughs) we all feel that little dip through the winter months and that boost as soon as we get to the spring and the summer months. And that is something that has been noted by many for centuries. Beltane often takes place on the 1st of May in the Northern Hemisphere and the 1st of November in the Southern Hemisphere. And the days are becoming extremely warm and we begin to see the fields full of lambs and calves and piglets. And it's a really a really wonderful time to feel thankful, I, I feel. And me celebrating Beltane is all about getting my loved ones together again. So the last time I would have done this would have been around Yule, but this is more a time I feel instead of family, I think of friends at Beltane and I want to bring people into my home, maybe have the first barbecue of the year and invite people round to have a long, warm evening with some drinks round a fire and music and food and hopefully dancing. (laughs) On Beltane, it's often always seen really auspicious to have a fire. So anything that you needed to burn off, anything that you didn't need anymore could all go on this huge ceremonial fire and could be burnt, ready for the summer solstice, literally just round the corner. Beltane was a sign of the new cycle, the summer cycle. And again, much like Ostara was this time of rebirth, of revitalization, Beltane takes that a step further. And if we look at the cycles of human life as well, often childhood is seen as spring and then summer is seen as coming into your early adulthood. So it's this real time of exploration and adventure. And I think you can really feel that when you think of Beltane. So moving to probably the most well-known celebration of the Wheel of the Year, we have Litha, known as the Summer Solstice. And this one takes place on the 20th to the 24th of June. Sometimes it shifts in between some of those dates. And of course, 20th to the 24th of December in the Southern Hemisphere. And this really is the height of summer and the beginning of that real beautiful warmth. In Sweden and Norway, most Scandinavian countries and Slavic traditions, it's known as Midsummer. And they actually 
look look wise this has a very similar kind of aesthetic to Beltane in this country so lots of people wearing things like flower crowns and white dresses Beltane and Midsummer certainly in Nordic and Slavic countries they tend to look fairly similar uh, Midsummer here in summer solstice here in the UK was always celebrated by a slightly different type of people. So midsummer was celebrated by everyone and has been in most Nordic countries. But Litha was originally part of the um, Druid tradition and was really seen as the most important date of the calendar. So it wasn't always this sort of flower crown and um, outwardly expressive, colourful festival. It was more of an alignment, almost seen as a time for the microcosm and the macrocosm to meet, the individual and the universal to unite and combine. So this real midpoint, this centre point was incredibly auspicious and of course we have the longest day of the year on this date and the shortest night. So of course from this point on the nights only get longer but the day is at its longest and its brightest and for me I like to take this day as an opportunity to fully pause and really soak up the day. Of course it's the longest day that we have so we can really fill it but what we choose to fill it with can be really important. Are you going to pause? Are you going to withdraw? Are you going to be in nature? Are you going to be around people? It is, of course, a bright and abundant time, so you can do any. But for me personally, I, again, like to do a bit of journaling. It's been a good six months since I've done any journaling from Yule, so I like to perhaps look back on what I did at Yule how that's been going and how I can change, adapt and grow from what I have already done. And it's always seen as a bit of a, a checking in point for me and an opportunity to pause and just watch everything go by really, really slowly. <laughs> the longest day I like to eke it out as much as possible. So we then move on to Lamas and the etymological origins of this word is actually loaf mass, so lots of bread effectively. And this is a time to really give thanks. And the I I believe this ties in nicely with the um American and Canadian traditions of thanksgiving. Of course, that comes from very different origins, but it's interesting that it's at the same end of the year. But it is an opportunity to give thanks to everything you have harvested. This is the time where we begin to harvest wheat, which of course we turn into bread, hence loaf mass. So you... It's, it's always usually around the 1st of August in the Northern Hemisphere and the 1st of February in the Southern Hemisphere. And it is the first harvest celebration where we begin to prepare for the end of summer and the colder, harsher days of autumn and winter. The sun wanes and it's kind of like the last hurrah of the year. And it's really nice to go out with a bit of a bang at this time. And 
really taking the opportunity to give thanks to anyone who has begun to help you through that year and gotten you to that point. So again, this is a time to gather together and break bread with family and friends and loved ones. My personal celebrations at this time of year are usually gathering what myself and my partner have grown in our greenhouse. We usually tend to grow cucumbers, tomatoes and chilies. Uh, this year we grew some cucumelons, which if you've never had are unbelievable and are a combination of cucumbers and melons, of course. And they are absolutely tremendous in Thai food, Japanese food. Um, you can make them in a spicy salad. Oh, mwah, they're just wonderful. So what we tend to do at this time is we tend to bring in everything that we have grown and invite our friends round to eat them. So with our cucumbers, we'll maybe turn them into a kind of pickle. Uh, we might pickle some, we might turn some into a salad, we might pickle them whole. Um, we'll bring in the tomatoes and perhaps make a really lovely tomato dish, maybe a salad with the cucamelons, something really spicy with the chilies, and just really enjoy everything that we've grown. We also grow a lot of herbs in our home, so of course we have everything covered in herbs from thyme and sage and rosemary to basil, parsley and coriander. And it is such a wonderful time to indulge in beautiful flavours and textures. And oh, it's just tremendous. Real foodie holiday, I feel. <laughs> so we then move on to Mabon, which is the one I started talking about. And the name Mabon, and this is one of the more modern ones, the name Mabon only came into existence in 1970 and it was actually named after Mabon ap Modron and he is a character from Welsh mythology stories and it signifies this, again, this turning. This is the second point in the year where the day and the night are of equal length, the only other date to do so since Ostara. So again, this idea of perfect balance comes into play again. And when we celebrate on the 21st to the 24th of September, this year it was the 22nd of September. Um, and then in the Southern Hemisphere, it's either the 21st to the 24th of March. And it's the time where we start to really notice those nights creeping in. I actually was driving back home last night and I started to really notice. It was almost as if someone had switched the light off. And that was the first time I'd thought that. And obviously we had Mabon just the other day. So it's really interesting. As soon as that day passes, it's almost as if I go, oh, oh yeah, someone switched the lights off. <laughs> Um, Mabon is often known as the pagan thanksgiving and similar to the idea of Lothmas it is that time of culminating everything you have harvested from the year. This is more however the time for getting together the last of the things that you're not going to save. So in medieval times a lot of loft space in people's homes was set aside for the fruit and vegetables that you wanted to keep. So things like apples that have a long shelf life, you would put in the loft of your home and you would cover and that would be your 
crop of apples to make pies and snack on make sauces that would be your crop you'd go up into the loft and you would grab a handful of apples to make a pie and until the next year that would be your crop of apples so it was always seen as a time to get those foundations laid really gather everything you had for the easiest winter possible in terms of crops and food and harvesting So it was a time, of course, for celebration, but it was also a time for preparation. Much like in Bollock, when we're kind of cleansing and clearing our home, Mabon pillars that quite nicely with bringing things into the home. So bringing in what we need, what we're going to need for for the winter months. And again, like drying, I love this. One of my um, one of my traditions for this holiday is to bring in things like herbs. So this is the time when a lot of outdoor plants need to come indoors to survive. So things like chili plants. If you have any chili plants, if anything, if the outside temperature dips below about four degrees, you need to bring your chili plants in, and that way they will last the winter. And you'll be able to just give the plants a trim and then take them out the next year and you will get very, very good and easy regrowth, which I think is tremendous. And I like to bring in bundles of herbs and hang them around my home so I can dry my own herbs. So I still have that wonderful pack of punch of flavour when I cook something. If I want to do a homemade pizza and I dry all my oregano, I still have a tremendous flavour on the top of my pizza without having to worry about my plant dying in the cold winter winds, (laughs) which is just beautiful. So Mabon is a more quiet one for me personally in terms of celebration. I dry my herbs, I bring in things to the home that need help surviving in terms of plant life. Um, A lot of houseplants also stop growing actively at this time, so it's a good time to prune them. It's a really good time to look at what you have in your garden and give it a prune. Because of course it's not going to grow as freely and as openly as it would have in the more abundant times of the year. So again, it's that really lovely time to look at what you have and bring in anything else that you might need. Then finally, we have Sarwin, which is always the one that I think I struggle to pronounce. (laughs) Um, Spell S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Sarwin is the time of death, retreat, calming, introspective thought. And it's obviously, of course, nowadays turned into Halloween and the Day of the Dead. And is that time where the veil of our worlds are at their thinnest. So this is the time to perhaps reconnect with a loved one who has passed and maybe light a candle in their honour as the nights grow darker allow that light to bring, to illuminate the path ahead. That's my kind of celebration for this time. So Samhain is celebrated on the 31st of October to the 1st of November in the Northern Hemisphere and the 31st of April to the 1st of May in the Southern Hemisphere. So it is 
oh, I've got it written phonetically here as well, so-en or so-en, um, the O pronounced the same as the O in owl, so, or cow. Um, so yeah, so-en, excellent. And then it's, um, so so-en, there we go, I've got it right now. And then so-en is basically a witch's new year and is seen as the last turning cog on the wheel and marks the end of the current cycle. So that is why a lot of the time it is traditionally linked with that idea of retreat, of death. And we cannot have growth without death. So it all needs to come around and around and around. It's traditionally a time where we celebrate and pay our respects to those who have passed. And it's a time where you can reflect back on the cycle just gone. So like I said, I tend to light a candle for those who whom I have lost and I will talk to them. I know that might sound a little bit peculiar, but I will I will talk to them. I'm not expecting a reply, of course, but I will communicate with them through prayer, through intention, sometimes meditation and memory. There's a lot you can access within your own psyche, a lot you can access within your own being that can bring you a sense of heartfelt memory of this person. If this person means enough to you to celebrate over Soen, then they mean enough to you to have coloured your life and made you who you are. So even just simply giving thanks for that person, I think, is a really, really important part of celebrating this festival and this celebration. Of course, we now have Halloween where we can dress up as witches and ghouls and Dracula (laughs) and have lots of fun trick-or-treating. Of course, these are modern add-ons to the festival much like the gift giving of Christmas but we can still connect to that element of remembering those who have passed. I don't know if you've seen the film Coco, the Disney film Coco but this really emulates that for me. There's a real sense of fun and colour but there's also this sense of remembering those who have gone from this world wishing them well on the world they have travelled to and making sure you remember them in this world. There's a really lovely feeling about keeping the memory of someone who has passed alive and Soen is definitely the time to do that. So I hope you enjoyed that little dive into the wheel of the year. I also hope it's perhaps given you some ideas on how you could celebrate different points of the year. And of course, please do take into consideration that this has all just come from my own personal practice. A lot of the research I've done on this has come from years of just looking up the different festivals So I'm sure it's not all 100% correct. But again, this is all very highly debated and is an amalgamation of Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Druid, Gaelic, Roman, Hindu. It's just, it's really, really wonderful how all of these different traditions have come together. 
but the annual cycle of the seasons and celebrations that signify these chief solar events and the midpoints in between are a magical way of highlighting your year. Thank you so very much for joining me in today's podcast episode. I would like to thank everybody who supports this podcast via Patreon. You are a truly treasured community of people and I am so honoured that you have chosen to financially support this podcast. It would not be happening without you. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so for five or ten pounds a month via the platform of Patreon. As well as getting early access to podcast episodes, you'll also receive numerous classes, journaling prompts, playlists all throughout the month to help spark joy every single week. Dedicated time for yourself as well as highlighting these pillar points of the year. Thank you so very much. And until next time, Om Shanti. Om Shanti.